It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 503 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you like the show, it would really help us out if you took a minute, subscribed, left a review for us. You can do this all with the podcast app on your phone that you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead, hit pause and subscribe, leave your quick review, and then come right back. I'll be waiting for you. Joining me on the show for the second time is John Wibben. John is the founder and CEO of Content Launch and the author of a couple of excellent books about content marketing and marketing in general. On his first appearance on Accelerate, we talked about his first book, Content is Currency. He recently published a second book, Future Marketing, Winning in the Prosumer Age. And in this book, John provides some really interesting predictions on how marketing will evolve. And since marketing doesn't operate in isolation from sales, these trends ultimately impact sales as well. And I think this will be a fun conversation. So, John Wibben, welcome back to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. Good to be back. Good to talk to you as always. It's, it's been way too long. Yes. So, um, you recently published a new book, Future Marketing, Winning in the Prosumer Age. So, what is the prosumer age? The prosumer is the new consumer, and this term actually was coined by the futurist Alvin Toffler in 1980 in his book, The Third <laughs> Wave. Yeah, I remember reading and, The Third um, Wave. Yeah, great book, and I, I read it when I was uh, nine years old, and <laughs> it uh, made a huge impact on me. I was um, old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but as a nine-year-old child reading this book, I was really taken by it, and it really made a huge impact on me, I think partially because I was very young. Um, but a lot of things that he talked about in 1980, so long ago, have have come to fruition in one way or another. And so this prosumer is essentially it's a, a mashup of producer and consumer. And if you look around and the way we all behave with the brands we, we, we interact with, we are helping them produce the service or experience and also consuming at the same time. Um, in large part. So if you look at you know Amazon and all the reviews we, we give on Amazon, we're helping Amazon produce the content on, on the Amazon.com site. Facebook, you know, Facebook's not producing all that content. We are, um, at the same time, we're consuming the content. So this whole prosumer thing, um, it's bigger than you know uh, the thought leader movement. It's bigger than the influencer movement. It's 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 taking uh, shape here right before our eyes, and literally, you know, millions of people are now uh, what I would call prosumers. And so it's such a big thing, and it's become it's going to get bigger. That I think we really need to call it the prosumer age. And so I think it belonged in the subtitle of this book because I'm really talking about the next 14 years in the marketing practice. And I think the prosumer is going to be a key piece of that. So how do you how do you see that working? Let's say, okay, you gave some great examples of contemporary Amazon, Facebook, so on. Get that. But what about yeah, you know, more conventional sort of? You know, hey, I I sell industrial parts. Um, yeah, you know, work for GE and sell industrial parts. I mean, how how does that affect their their customers? How do their customers become prosumers? Yeah, that's a good question, and and I don't think that there's an application for every company, every industry necessarily. Um, but in some cases, there there can be. I think really it's just getting closer to the consumer and then getting closer to you. Um, uh, so that can take many different shapes and different forms, um, and seeing them differently in the fact that. These aren't people that I sell stuff to. These are people that can help me 
um, improve my marketing, help me run some of my marketing, um, and vice versa. Um, you know, I'm helping them with their lives in some way, shape, or form too. So it's it's really just breaking down the wall between company and customer in, in new ways, using new technology to do that, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality. All these things are coming. Um, and I think the prosumer age is just taking shape now as we speak. In the next three or four years, or three or four years from now, I think we'll we'll see it more clearly. Um, and, and yeah, for some of those companies, like you just mentioned, um, there may be an application there, there may not. But I think it really is just um, getting closer to your, to your customer and, and using the technology to do that. Well, I think it's the idea of the, I mean, listening to you talk, I mean, to me, it strikes me, it's really about the customer experience really becomes part of that, right? So yeah. regardless really of what you're selling is, is, as you said, it's not a matter of selling to someone, it's, it's this whole act of selling is, you know, it's a collaborative process. And it really should be in a business-to-business space. It really should be more of a collaborative rather than something you're inflicting on someone. It's something you're doing with them, a journey you're on together to help them discover a solution. As you said, the closer you get to the customer as you do that, then you know the customer experience and their input and feedback into what they need to buy Yeah, starts shaping what you sell. Yeah, absolutely. And many, I mean, there's many different names for this, right? I'm just calling it the prosumer age. And yeah, it could be the customer experience. It could be, um, I mean, there's there's many different terms that are used out there. Um, but but the reason I wanted to make this part of the, the title of the book is because I really think it's going to be a, a very big thing over the next 10 years. And uh, so we really need to dig into it and find out how we can wrap our arms around this and, and change the way, um, start evolving the way that we see our customers in new ways that we haven't done before. So you identify other sort of megatrends in your book. I mean, share with us what some of those are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, some of the big megatrends are, you know, innovating to zero, where we have cars with zero emissions, zero accidents, uh, carbon neutral cities and buildings. It's basically a zero concept world with zero defects, you know, zero breaches of security, et cetera. Um, Just that mass efficiency thing that we're starting to see across the board. Um, that's that's one of the big ones. Well, let's, um, let's, well, let's explore that for a second before we move on to yeah, other. So yeah. you use the term innovate to zero. So what you're saying is that that you know, in multiple industries or maybe in virtually every industry, there's sort of this zero point that's desirable to achieve, whether it's uh, you know zero friction in your sales process. You said innovate out zero defects. I mean, is that what you're sort of aiming at? Is that that's that's what we should be focused on? Yeah, what I'm saying is right now, if you look around, there's so much waste, waste of time, waste of resources. We're not nearly as efficient as we could be in all the things that we're doing as marketers. And so this idea of less waste and more efficiency across the board is going to really take on a tectonic shift. Um, and, and we need to understand, okay, if, if everything's more efficient, then how does that change our marketing uh, practices? How does that change the, our relationship with the customer? Um, it, it really is a, a big shift, a mind shift. Um, what do we do with this new efficiency that we're gaining? Um, and, and for all these megatrends, this is deep stuff, right? I mean, we could talk about this all day long, um, but it's just one of the big changes that's happening. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, Ray Kurzweil talked about this in the singularity in his book a few years ago, how, you know, things are changing so fast that um, we can't really keep up anymore. So it's uh, the idea of prioritizing and, and or being organized and understanding what's important, uh, what's most important. Those, those skill sets are all going to be more important in the future. 
Well, again, that's sort of interesting comment. So what he's saying is that the change is coming so fast and furious that we're just incapable of, of processing it. So we have to choose <laughs> those changes that are important to us. Yeah, in many ways, that's true. And and um, so we all have to get better at focusing and, and understanding whatever we're looking at or, or dealing with in the moment. Is this worth my time? Should I be doing this? Is this a value-added activity or not? And I think we're all going to get better at that. But um, but yeah, that's, that's partially what it's about. Well, I think that becomes a, a key skill. I mean, this is something that, that you know, I've written about in my books. I mean, uh, Herbert Simon, Nobel Prize winner back in the, the 60s, if not early 70s, you know, wrote extensively about this in terms of, yeah, what do we do? Sort of what Kurzweil said is, and Kurzweil probably referred to him as, yeah, when we're in an environment, we're overwhelmed by various sources of information. How do we make choices about how to prioritize which sources of information to pay attention to? Yeah. So, so that we're not overwhelmed. Right, right. And I think you use the key word, which is value added, which is, yeah, we, we choose based on those things that give us the biggest return on investment on our time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's interesting. So you know, you talk about about uh, that type of decision making that we have to make in a world where the technology is conspiring to make us less present and less focused and less less uh, able to make those choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and with technology, we also have many more choices than we had before. So what technology suite, what, what marketing stack are we going to use to, to run our marketing departments? And, and why are we choosing those, those, um, those apps? And, and, you know, are those apps helping us get closer to the, to the customer or not? Are they making us, you know, providing us more, more work or less or more, are they making us more efficient? So I, the choices we make in technology are also really important because um, through the, those choices, we can become more efficient. Okay, so beyond innovate to zero, another big trend then. Yeah, that's that's one big one. Next one I would say is uh, the sharing economy. Right, we've seen the sharing economy mm-hmm. over the last few, years. but that's going to be a, a bigger thing over the next few years, and uh, we'll see more of that. Um, and that also, uh, I think, parallels very well with uh, with the the prosumers and you know people having more power over their time allocation of time. We see that with, with Uber drivers, and, and that's the reason why they, they love driving for Uber is because they have freedom of time that they didn't have before. So the sharing economy is going to expand in many different directions. Um, that, that's a biggie, and we've seen that. Um, I think uh, another one that's, that's worth talking about is uh, the idea of connectivity and convergence. Um, so we, we're going to see 5 billion web users by 2020. So just in three years, we, we were going to hit that 5 billion uh, user mark, which is just uh, crazy, because uh, uh, right now there's like you know maybe three billion, so we're adding another two billion web users within three years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, fifty percent of those folks will use tablets, um, so you know very mobile. Um, and then eighty billion devices connected around the world. Eighty billion devices—that's just uh, astronomically higher than it is today. So if that's the idea, you know, um, how do we? What's going to happen? How's that all going to roll out? Um, is it going to be? Uh, are we going to have bandwidth issues? Or and with all these, there are there are positives, there, and there are there are challenges, right? I talk about a lot of the positives in the book, um, but I don't want to discount the fact that these there are tremendous challenges that will be presented um, along the way. Um, but because of this efficiency thing, and because um, we'll be getting these gains 
uh, in some ways, things will get easier. Um, and that's, and that's kind of contradictory to a lot of people, the way they think about the future. Um, and also, a lot of the futurists are saying that costs will actually come down over the next 30 years because of this mass efficiency. And that's an interesting one that a lot of people, some people wouldn't agree with necessarily. But if you think about mass efficiency in everything, um, that has to bring costs down eventually. Well, but, um, and but if there's, you have, there's a, the interesting thing that I think we're beginning to see, though, is, is, and not to veer too far off track, but is one of the things with the sharing economy is that that what it's going to do is it's not clear it's sustainable for the people providing those services to stay in those those jobs, right? Like Uber drivers and so on. I mean, as we get a bigger segment of the economy working in the gig economy and the sharing economy, yeah, costs may go down, but on the other hand, standard of living is perhaps threatened as well. I mean, so what, what, you know, based on what you've read, what do you see the impact of that being? Yeah, well, that's a good point. I'll get to that in one second. But one thing I want to mention, and I always mention this on the in the outset when we talk about the future in any 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 way, is that there will be new industries developed. There will be thousands of new companies uh, coming online over the next few years that we don't have in in place today. Brand new industries. So when people say, "Oh, robots are going to do my job. AI is taking over the world. Um, we're all going to lose our jobs," I, I push back on that and I say I say what I just said, which is. Um, there are uh, the whole economy is going to, you know, be turned on its head. There's going to be so many new. I mean, just with AI, right? I mean, we see new companies coming online with AI and then virtual reality, all these new technologies. There's lots of companies that have to support all this new stuff, right? Um, so that is also going to be happening simultaneously, right? So um, it's not a dystopian future uh, for those those negative thinkers out there. Uh, I, hate to, I hate to burst I hate to burst your bubble, but this is not going to be Minority Report, right? The movie. Report, even though I talk about that in the book. Uh, but back to your point, yes, yeah, standard of living. Um, certainly, um, we have to talk about that one. Um, but again, uh, and I'm just putting this out there, no one truly knows if this is going to happen. But if in today's world you need, let's say, $80,000 in annual salary to, to live comfortably in San Diego, California, um, many, many futurists are saying that within 20 years, you'll, you're only going to need $40,000 uh, in today's dollars to, to have the same standard of living. Um, so that's that's what I would say to your question is, um, you know, it's, if things are get get more efficient and, and things are more affordable, and at the same time we're producing goods and services inside our own homes using three uh, D printers, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Making our own clothes, right? Making our own the things we need that we normally buy that we spend money for. A lot of those things we're going to be making in our own homes uh, for for pennies on the dollar, right? So. So that also goes into that efficiency thing that we're talking about in the future. Um, so you know, no one truly knows what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years. But we, we can see the trends, and we can see the trends in the past more clearly now than we ever could before. So that's one of the one of the differentiating things is, yeah, all these futurists are talking about things that may or may not come true. But we now have some, some paths that we can see better than we could five or 10 years ago in the way things are going. Um, so we we actually can predict things better, and AI is a big part of that too, right? So, well, I, I, that's an interesting question. And again, is is I wonder if that's really the case though? Is that we can predict more accurately? I mean, than we could in the past. I mean, yeah, we've got a certain path that we've been on with technology, and but I wonder if we're any more capable of really f- being, you know, foresightful in sort of an accurate way about where technology will take us than we were before. I mean, because I agree with you. I think you know we're going to see disruption 
in a ways that we've never even contemplated in the past going forward whether it provides you know the economic efficiencies you talk about i to me that's that's a huge open question but certainly yeah you can see yeah if you can digitally print as you said clothing or you know other articles for your homes or things you need for your life at home at a fraction of the cost then yeah yeah you look at the whole retail retail chain these days or you know supply chain yeah you could see some major disruptions there yeah and i think you're absolutely right it, we no one truly really knows right we're all kind of just guessing here uh informed guessing for sure but um but the other big caveat i think the caveat on all of this is is the people that are going to be behind all these changes and we need we we absolutely need some very strong committed leaders around the world, not just in the marketing profession, but in the business community, to help usher in this new age and to uh, lead us confidently um, and, and with purpose, um, uh, whether we're talking about business or in the public arena, right, politically. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's going to take a lot of people, a lot of good, committed, intelligent, uh, positive people to, to help us get there. Um, and that, that is the big caveat, I think. Okay. So let's let's bring it down to sort of the more real world terms uh, in yep. the near term. And you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is content marketing. And yeah, you know, there's some data I've seen, and I think you had some in your book too. That that you know this has been one of the big marketing trends, if you will, is that saying that we're actually becoming sort of less effective at it as we are producing more content, where our the efficient the effectiveness is actually declining. Yeah. And, you know, whenever you have a, a lot of companies joining the bandwagon and doing something and they're all doing similar things, adopting a new a new way of, of operating with, like content marketing, you have more content, you have better content and more companies doing it. Certainly, there's going to be a point of diminishing returns. Right. And and certainly it's going to get more competitive. Um, but uh, we knew that was going to happen. We just didn't know when. Um, so the point, I think, why this book is important for, for those companies out there that embrace content marketing is it's all about what's next and what's coming and being on the forefront of that. And so if we're looking at uh, virtual reality, then you know there's a content marketing play there. Um, and there are companies using VR now in a very effective way to get content delivered and get that message across. So that would be my recommendation to companies is, yeah, if you're feeling the competitive pressure and you know, your content isn't working as well as it did two or three years ago, um, then, you know, maybe you need to start trying some of this new stuff and, and, and seeing how that works. And, and, I mean, the idea there is it's all about first mover advantage, right? If you can be the first company in your industry, in your area, to use some really cool VR content marketing, uh, come up with a good strategy and campaign around that, um, it could be yours to lose, right? I mean, you could be the winning company in that industry in terms of content marketing, and all of a sudden your, your marketing gets a whole lot better because, hey, you're being talked about and you're doing some cutting edge stuff. Um, so I think that's maybe one of the answers. Um, but, but secondly is, yeah, you, know, you just have to do better, right? You have to produce better content over time. Um, but I, if it was me and that's what we're doing as a company, we're really trying to embrace this technology and, and dip our toe in the water a little bit and, and test it out with some of our customers and, and see how it could work for us. Um, and I well, talk about that in the book. All right, so you had some trends in your book uh, for content marketing, one of which was native advertising. So explain what native advertising is. Yeah, so native advertising, and I know it confuses some people because just the, the term native advertising, it confuses people. But it really, it's, it's essentially it's material 
in an online, you know, on your blog or, or, or on a third-party site, which sort of resembles your editorial content, but is paid for by the advertiser and intended to promote the product, right? So um, it, it's the content that you see, and a lot of, it's all, there's a lot of it on the web, um, that is technically advertising, but it doesn't necessarily look like advertising. Got it. So why is that effective? Well, number one, because it, it sort of blends in with everything else, and it, it and it doesn't look like an ad, right? Um, and I think naturally, some people are just they just shy away from ads for all the all the reasons that we understand. Um, but also because it's it's sort of um, it's advertising that's done well, right? It's it's sending a it's educating, it's inspiring, it's uh, providing advice. So that's where the content marketing piece of it comes in. Is it's 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 not selling necessarily. It's still educating. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it, but it's not an ad, right? So we have to call it something different. Got it. Now, the other thing you had in that I thought was kind of interesting and I, is you talk about influencer marketing is a trend and yep. how's this different than having a spokesperson? Yeah, I think, I think, um, a spokesperson is someone out front, right? It's, it's a personality. It's someone who looks good on camera. Who's out there actually promoting the product or service. Um, whereas an influencer isn't necessarily always doing that. Uh, they may be working behind the scenes or using their network for your advantage. Um, <clears throat> it's just partnering with with the folks out there that have an audience. I mean, it's all about building an audience, right? Um, it's not it's not about building sales and you know revenue as much as it is building an audience nowadays. Um, and we all know that through social media and everything that's changed the last few years. But so if you're trying to build an audience, then it just makes sense to go after people that have an existing audience, right? who are in line with what you do as a company. And that's the idea of, of partnering with influencers. Um, if you partner with, say, 10 influencers, they all have 100,000 people following them on social media or more, um, those those folks can help you significantly gain additional audience, and that's the key. Yeah, I, I remember years and years ago when, when I was in high school, my dad got transferred to work in Japan, his company, and they were starting a joint venture with a Japanese company and, and launching a product in Japan and Japanese had a way they did a very structured way they did this this launch, but it involved um, identifying people they called tastemakers, which were influencers, but they weren't you know spokespeople necessarily. But every time you'd have an event, these quote unquote tastemakers would be there that people could see and associate with and so on, talk to. Uh, but it was sort of that that same same principle. Yeah, and you know, I think it's just human nature to be drawn to um, a, a connected, charismatic network personality, right? Um, I mean, we're just drawn to that. So, um, so I, I think it's always going to be a smart play, no matter you know when what we're talking about. Twenty years ago, now, in, in the future, it's always going to be a, a good idea. Um, but I think in the future, it's going to be more of a two-way street. Um, and it should be right now. It's a lot of big brands are are buying their way into you know getting influencers, and that's that's fine. I get it. Um, they got to spend their marketing dollars on something. Uh, might as well might as well spend them wisely. Um, but but in the future, it's it's all going to be more about everyone helping everybody else, right? Um, that, I mean, that's the idea of the prosumers is the prosumers are helping the company, and the company's helping the prosumer, and um, there's just going to be less of a wall between uh, less of a separation between you know, all these different groups that we're talking about. Well, one of the key things then that this comes up often, and you have it in your book, you identify as one of the key trends, is uh, purpose-driven marketing. So is this, you know, primarily social purpose? I mean, we see more and more of that, or companies saying, hey, you know, openly talking about diverting, or not diverting, but 
applying a specific part of their top line dollar or bottom line dollar to specific charities and so on. And there's been talk about in certainly in the millennial cohort that this is seen as much more important. Is, is this really an essential part for brands now? I think it is. Um, and the, the difference is this, that yes, it is being driven, driven by the millennials and Generation Z, um, but, but what they're wanting and what they're asking for is it for to, to be authentic, right, and to be real. And I think a lot of big brands are still doing it, but they aren't, their heart's not really in it, right? Um, so it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be not a campaign, but a part of the culture of the company. And that is the difference for a lot of big brands. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of millennials that won't even buy from you as a company or brand if, if they think that you're selling them, if you, if they feel an air of, 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 you know, phoniness. Um, so, so that's a big part of it. And, and yeah, it is about, you know, supporting charities and doing good works in the community. Um, but it's really got to be a part, a part of the culture of the company and, um, and a part of your marketing, a part of everything you do in, in marketing, because, the, the Generation Z and the millennials—that's the future, right? They're the future big decision makers, and they're they're leading that charge, and and they'll continue to lead that charge for the next thirty years. So, if you're, you know, CEO of a small mid-sized business, you're listening to this podcast, and you, you know, you haven't identified what that purpose is, um, what do you do? How do you start? I mean, what's what? Yeah, you know, I know. On one hand, there's probably a tendency to say, eh, "Is that really accurate?" But I'm with you. I think this is becoming increasingly important and companies need to stand for something other than just what they're selling. So, so how do you identify that? Yeah, I think if I was running a company like that, I would first of all do an audit. Um, and this is a, this is something that could be a little painful for some companies. Um, do an internal review and audit, sit down with all, all the key players, all the employees, stakeholders, maybe bring some partners, vendors, customers in and, and have a, have a, a, you know, some people call it a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> you can call it what you want. Uh, but, but kind of, hey, let's be honest. Who are we as a company? What is our culture? Are we really um, doing stuff that's, that's good for other people? Here? Are we just selling products and services? I mean, I think it's really, it's a, it's a, you got to have an honest discussion, an honest analysis of your company and your marketing and what you're doing. Um, and I think it starts there. Um, and based on that, then you can, you know, chart a course of, of improvement, of change, Within the culture, within your marketing, um, to to you know make make a, a course correction, if you will. Um, but but with that comes the idea that um, you want to start building out your ecosystem of of, of prosumer uh, customers of of partners who share that same mission, who also are purpose driven in their marketing, um, and and then you know put some dollars behind it, right? It's, it, you're, put your money where your mouth is and. Um, and show that that it's real. Um, and, and but it's it's going to take time for a company that has to kind of turn that around because if, it, if we're asking it to be a part of the culture of the company, uh, that does take a long time. And sometimes sometimes it never quite happens or doesn't quite uh, you know um, become uh, a norm in the company. But um, I think the other thing too is is really um, having that conversation with with your millennial and Generation Z employees. Customers, partners, that that generation, and and talking about it and s seeing what their ideas are, and how could we be more purpose driven? You know, what, what could we do out in the community? Um, so I think it's really about that. It's about being open and, and having being honest and and changing direction where you can, and then putting money behind it. I like it, like it. No, I think it's very important. All right, John, we're getting near the end. So, what? Any final words to wisdom to wrap up? 
Yeah, you know, in my book, I, I talk about a lot of things over the next 14 years in the marketing practice. I say, you know, what big things are happening by by uh, 2021, and then and then by 2030. But but the the one of the big things in the book is is what I came up with on the marketing construct. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with the four P's of marketing. Um, what I'd like to leave everyone with is is that you know the four P's have, have served us well. You know, product, price, promotion, place for the last few years, and we're still kind of using the four P's. Uh, most companies. Um, but what I came up with is, is something a little bit different, and I'm calling it EP squared. And what EP squared is is engagement, experiences, personalization, and passion. And I think with this uh, marketing construct, it really centers around the customer, this prosumer customer I'm talking about in every way. If we look at each one of those, it's all about the customer, whereas the four Ps was always about the company, right? Our products, our pricing, our promotion, our the places we're going to – uh, promote our products and services, whereas EP Square really is all about the customer. So I would leave your listeners with the idea of, okay, engagement. Where am I engaging with my customer? How can I improve that? Experiences. How can I turn my services or products into an experience? Because in the future, people will want to buy experiences. Experiences are sticky. They're hard. They're hard to leave. They're they're interesting. People look forward to experiences. So that that's going to be a key thing to think about in your marketing. And then third, personalization. How can I be more personalized in my in my marketing, and we were doing it now with emails, but how can you be personalized across the board and, and, and get closer to the customer through a personalized effort? And then last is a passion thing, which I mentioned earlier with the millennials and really tapping into your passion for your company, your products, your people, um, and connecting with that passion that your prosumer customers have. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say, you know, uh, if you are going to pick up the book, which I encourage folks to do, um, check out the EP Squared uh, marketing construct that I talk about and, and uh, see how that might work for you. Yeah, and I would say along with that, I mean, one of the other things you talk about as you're looking on the future, which sort of aligns with what you just talked about through EP Squared, is, is the, you say the mass market will be eclipsed by a niche or niche explosion, which I think is so true, right? You know, the more focused you get on the customer and the experience and so on, you really have to think about the fact that you're serving a smaller, more tightly defined group of customers. And the more focused you become in that regard in terms of defining that niche is uh, more successful you'll be in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's all being powered by this big data revolution, right? I mean, we, if we have 200 data points on every customer versus 20, uh, you know, that's going to enable us to get closer to the customer, to be more personalized, and to, to find the niche and really understand the niche. Um, and then, okay, so you are selling to one niche. Well, maybe you could sell to four or five other niches, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's the mass market is gone. It's the mass market is history, right? And and it'll be about these various niches that you serve, and how well connected you are to the niche. Right. Well, great. Well, John, thanks for joining us again today. So, tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Andy. Always a pleasure. Always um, a pleasure. Folks can find out more about me and the book at futuremarketingbook.com. Futuremarketingbook.com. <laughs> well, that was yep. simple. Yep. And tell people again the name of your book. Yeah, it's called Future Marketing, Winning in the Prosumer Age. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, John, thanks for being on the show. Friends, thank you for spending this time with us again today. Remember, come back, join us again tomorrow. Another great episode, another great guest. Uh, until then, if you get a chance, you're listening to this on your phone or on your tablet, on the app, take a second, subscribe to this podcast, uh, leave a review. I really want to hear back from you. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 